Good morning. So today is a very exciting day for me. I've been waiting my entire life for this day, for my first Father's Day. So now I've made it. I feel, I feel accomplished. I feel I finally get to do what I want to do for once. It's, it's awesome. Take that, Dad. Uh, no, no, no. So glad you are here today, and happy Father's Day. Uh, very appreciative of all the dads and fathers and father figures. And now, Father's Day is, is on the opposite end of the spectrum from Mother's Day. Mother's Day is always about getting together with family, coming to church together as a family and sitting there, and then going to lunch afterwards, and just hanging out and spending some quality time. Father's Day, on the other end, is about getting to do what dad wants to do. And for my family, that meant leaving him alone for a few hours, some peace and quiet, no arguing, allowing him to go play some golf. And that was what he wanted. He didn't want to be around us kids. No, he had fun. He loves us very much. But don't worry today, dads. We're not going to be beating up on you on Father's Day. Uh, We're going to be talking about uh, Deuteronomy and just about uh, Christian households and, and our role as parents in a Christian household. And so we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And Now Deuteronomy is a set of sermons uh, Moses preached towards the end of his life. And if you remember, the Israelites were enslavement to the Egyptians for several hundred years. And then God sent Moses to set them free. But Pharaoh said, no. Moses told him, I, I really think that you should let them go. But Pharaoh again said, no. And so God sent the 10 plagues. And then Pharaoh changed his mind and said, get out. Well, the Israelites go and the Egyptians actually pay them to leave. But Pharaoh has a change of heart and he realizes that if there are no Israelites, there's no free labor. And that means they actually have to work. And so he sends his armies after them. And so the Israelites make it to the Red Sea, and God splits open the sea, and they walk through on dry ground. And then when the Egyptians get there and they try to go through, the waves keep coming and crash down on them. And as the song from my childhood goes, all of Pharaoh's armies did the dead man's float. Oh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh. While they're in the desert, the Israelites say that they're hungry and they want food. And so God gives them manna. But then they're not satisfied with the manna, and now they say they want meat. And so God gives them meat to eat. And then they say they're thirsty, and they're going to die of thirst. So God provides water. When they get to the promised land, Moses sends in spies. And the Israelites are afraid of what they see and what's there. And they don't trust that God will protect them. And so God makes them wander in the desert for 40 years. And during all this time... God gives them instructions and laws and ways that they are supposed to conduct themselves as being God's chosen people. And that brings us to Deuteronomy. Moses is getting near the end of his time as the leader of the Israelites. And he has a secession plan in place like any good CEO would. Joshua, who is a younger man who Moses has poured into over the years, will take over as leader of the Israelites. And Moses wants to make sure that he's setting up Joshua for success and for a successful transition. So he gathers the leaders and the people together, and he's giving them his farewell instructions. He's reiterating and reminding them of what they've already known and heard, but he wants them to hear it again. In Deuteronomy 5, he goes back over the Ten Commandments. No other gods, no idols, do not misuse the name of God, keep the Sabbath holy. Honor your parents. 
Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie, do not envy. He wanted to refresh their memories because I believe the Israelites suffered from a medical condition, short-term memory loss. And they would quickly forget what God has told them or commanded them to do. So he wanted to make sure that they were without excuse when Joshua took over. Moses is jogging their memory about how they responded to being given the Ten Commandments. He tells them the commandments, which are all very important, but then he gives them the greatest commandment. Let's pick up in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, when you're building a house... You start by laying a strong foundation. You have to make the ground level, and then you dig out the footers, you put in the forms, and you set out the rebar and tie it in. And then you have to make sure that the concrete mixture is just right. Every house has to have a strong foundation. If the, whole, if the foundation is weak, the whole house will crumble. Moses is starting off in this chapter like he is a builder building a house. He is laying a solid foundation. He's telling the Israelites that our God, he's the only God, and you are to love him with your heart, soul, and might. He's telling them this because he knows how easily swayed they are. They came from, Israel, or from Egypt where they had many gods in that country. And now they're going to another country that each people group has several gods. And even when Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments originally, when he came back down, the Israelites had made a golden calf and were worshiping it, saying that that was the God who got them out of Egypt. God is the only God. Now that's the first half of the foundation. The second half of the foundation is to love God with your heart, soul, and might. Now what does that look like? Well, when heart is mentioned in the Bible, it's referring to your mind and your inner person, your emotions and your intellect. You're to love God with all of your inner being. When it talks about soul, it's talking about your passion, your desire, your life. Your life's work should be to love God and your might with all the force and strength that you can muster, both mentally and physically. Now, did you have someone that you idolized growing up? Maybe an athlete or an artist, a musician, a teacher, a writer? When I was growing up, everyone wanted to be like Mike. And we would all try to jump from the free throw line and dunk it. And I got close a few times when I was in fourth grade and weighed 140 pounds. I was so close. Maybe you wanted to be like Neil Armstrong and be a great astronaut. Or Louis Armstrong and be a, a talented musician. Or maybe you wanted to be like Lance Armstrong and be a talented cheat cheater. <laughs> I've looked up to several different people for different things, for Michael Jordan for basketball, my brother Jason for soccer, Frank Lloyd Wright for design, and, and many other people for different areas. Who do you look up to? Who inspired you? Who did you want to be when you grew up? I think it's safe to say that we've all looked up to someone over our lives, someone who is a professional or an expert in their field. So there's a theory that in order to become an expert or professional in your field, you have to work at it for 10,000 hours. And I did the math on that, 
And if you were to put in 90 minutes a day, it would take you 20 years to accomplish that, to become an expert. You have to be pretty dedicated to put that much time and effort into something. I loved playing soccer and basketball growing up, but I didn't practice much in the offseason. I only practiced when the coach had us there. I wanted to be better, but I didn't want to put in the effort. I really enjoyed playing sports, but I wasn't dedicated to it. Moses is telling the Israelites in verse 5 to be dedicated to God. Moses repeatedly exhorted the Israelites to respond to God's love with devotion. In this context, the word translated as love may mean to make one's choice in. God is commanding his people to choose him with their entire being, and by doing so to deny all other gods. Moses is not giving the Israelites any wiggle room. As humans, we like to find loopholes in things. I just sold my house in Dallas last week, and there was so much legalese and verbiage in the contract, it made my head spin. For me, it would have been fine if I just wrote on a napkin, the Dukes agree to sell their house to so-and-so, and so-and-so agrees to pay X amount of dollars, and that would have been sufficient. But that would have left a, a door open for interpretation and for loopholes. Moses is telling the Israelites that they have to love God with their inner being, their life, and with everything they can muster, and that God is the only God. There's no possible loophole in this contract. There can only be God and nothing else. And the same goes for us. We can't just love God on Sundays. We can't just love God inwardly, but not express it outwardly. We can't just love God outwardly, but then hide bitterness and jealousy and slander inwardly. And we can't love God with our heart and our soul, but keep it to ourselves and not be the hands and feet of Jesus. We must love God with everything that we have. There can only be God and nothing else. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. If these commands are to be on our heart, on our inner being, on who we are, what does that look like? It means we have to work at it. We have to make it second nature. And it's not just about having got the scriptures memorized. No, it's about being so in tune with the word of God that following his commands, it's like breathing. It just happens. We just do it. It's not enough to just know the commands, but we must put God's commands into action. A Christian home starts with us as parents. We have to work on our relationship with God. We have to start with ourselves loving God before we can move on to the next step. We have to be laying that foundation down and building on it. Now, I want to encourage you. In fact, I want you to say this with me really quickly. I'm going to say it, and I want you to say it back boldly and like you mean it. I don't have to be a perfect parent. Say it. You're right. You do not have to be a perfect parent. God is not saying that in order for you to lead your home, you have to have it all together. You have to have so many years of Christianity under your belt. You have to have so many scriptures memorized. No, we're human. We're going to mess up, but we keep trying. We keep moving forward. But we can't expect our children to have a relationship with God if we are not working on our relationship with God. 
And maybe your foundation isn't as solid as it once was, or, or maybe you haven't laid a foundation, or, or maybe it, your foundation was poured incorrectly and some cracks have developed over the years. It's not beyond repair. You can fix it and make it sound. It's going to be hard work, and it will hurt at times, but when your foundation is made strong, the rest of the house becomes stronger. Professional baseball has been played in America since 1875, but on September 14, 1990, something happened that has never happened before or since. Late in his career, Ken Griffey Sr., who had been a key member of the World Series championship team, the Cincinnati Reds, years before, was signed by the Seattle Mariners. His son, Ken Griffey Jr., was just starting his major league career with the Seattle Mariners. In the first inning of a game against the Angels, Ken Griffey Sr. hit a home run out to left center field. His son followed him up to bat at the plate and hit a home run almost to the exact same spot. It was the only time a father and son had ever hit back-to-back home runs in baseball history. Ken Griffey Jr. later said that his father met him at the plate by saying, that's how you do it, son. Ken Griffey Sr. showed his son what it meant to be a great baseball player. He gave him an example of what he was supposed to do. We have to be setting the example for our children. Moses told the Israelites the same thing in verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Now let's be honest. If you hear what I hear, when I'm reading that verse, then you're probably thinking, when am I going to fit this in? My schedule's already busy enough. I'm trying to get people fed. I'm trying to get people to sports or practices. I've been at work all week. I'm tired. I got, I got to go meet some friends. There's so much. I got to clean the house. But each of these are opportunities that we can take advantage of. Moses said to talk to them, talk to them when you sit. Instead of relaxing and vegging out over a TV show, Play a board game with your family or do a devotion together. When you're sitting at the dinner table, talk about God's word. Do you drive your kids to sports or practice or vacations? What better time to talk to them than when they can't get away? If you have teenagers, then you know that this is going to be work. You ask them how their day was and they're fine. Well, what was fine about it? I don't know. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. But you keep working at it. It'll get easier. The conversation will start to flow. Keep pushing on. Take advantage of those few short moments and maximize them. Now, I've been blessed with an amazing dad. And I know what you're thinking. Well, your dad's probably great, but mine's even better. No, you're wrong. My dad is the greatest dad ever. He's incredible. You will not find a more multi-talented person around. There's a saying, jack of all trades, master of none. Well, I say my dad's a jack of all trades, master of many. He grew up in my grandfather's cabinet shop, and so he knows how to build anything out of wood. And as a boy with a creative imagination, that was gold. He would make me swords and shields and axes and anything I wanted. And he still feeds that by helping me build furniture. He taught himself how to be a mechanic. And he was a successful mechanic for many years in Dallas. He uh, became the water district manager 
for his district. And in a year and a half, his district had the best tasting water in Oklahoma. And I know what you're thinking, it's Oklahoma, but it's a big deal. And he can do anything he sets his mind to. He can plumb, he can weld, he can make one-handed hook shots from half court. My dad's incredible. But my dad set an example for me and taught me what it means to create and to build and to fix things, to do anything that I set my mind to. My family was very much a sports family, and I think my parents were at almost every game that me and my siblings ever played. But they never let us miss church or for school or sports. If we had a project that was due on Thursday morning, guess who stayed up late night on Wednesday? My dad showed me what it means to be a loving father and a caring husband. But the greatest thing he taught me was what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. We had family devotions every morning. We were at church every Wednesday and Sunday, no matter what else was going on. My parents asked us kids about the Bible and talked with us about God's word when we were at the dinner table or we were in the car. They weren't perfect, but they showed us what well, was most important by prioritizing God first and everything else second. Proverbs 22.6 says this, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not part from it. I want my son to be a great student, and so I'm going to help him with his homework and make sure he stay on top of it. I want him to be a great athlete, so I'm going to have my wife toss the ball with him. I want him to be able to get a great education and have a great job. And so I'm going to help him how I can. But all those things will eventually pass. He'll no longer be in school. He'll be too tired to play sports competitively. He'll retire and not have to work any longer. But his relationship with God, that will last for eternity. I have to show him what is the highest priority in life. I have to set that example. If you're going to teach your children, you have to be intentional about it. Give them your time. Set for them an example of what a relationship with Jesus looks like. Give them something to follow. Again, you're not always going to set the perfect example. You're going to mess up, and that's okay. Own up to your mistakes, but keep pushing ahead. Christianity is not made up of perfect people. If it was, then there would be no need for Jesus. It's for people who are trying to be better today than they were yesterday because of Jesus. Remember, God cares more about where you're going than where you've been. You're building upon your foundation. You're fixing it as it's needed to be fixed. Your own personal relationship with God. And you're teaching your children to have their own relationship by investing in them and taking advantage of little moments in your hectic schedule to grow as a family for Christ. Now, I'm one of those people that the term, if you don't use it, you'll lose it, directly applies to. Anyone else like that? I took French for five years growing up, and all I can say now is bonjour, comment allez-vous? And I can barely say that, and it means hello, how are you? I took piano for several years, and now I can barely find middle C. One thing I remember from growing up, though, is something my high school basketball coach used to tell us throughout the season, as we're practicing, repetition penetrates the dullest of minds. Repetition penetrates the dullest of minds. 
repetition penetrates the dullest of minds. Repetition, well, you get the idea. If you repeat something long enough, you start to be able to do it without thinking. Muscle memory kicks in and just becomes natural. I was a horrible typer growing up. I would have to look at the keyboard constantly and make sure I was hitting the right strokes. But I practiced and continued and have gotten better. And now I can type seven words a minute. <laughs> God knows that we can all get a little forgetful and things that once were easy to do, we struggle with. And we have to think a little bit harder about it. Things that came naturally have become a little hazy and fuzzy in our memory. And I think that's why God told Moses to tell the Israelites, verses 8 and 9, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them as on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now the Israelites and Jews still do that to this day. They have verses from the Torah written down, and when they do their prayers, they wear a teflon on their arm and on their forehead, and they put mezuzahs on the doorposts of their homes. And this is a constant reminder of what God has told them and what He has commanded them. We need to do this too. Now, I'm not saying you have to do exactly like they and put a box on your head with Scripture or write it on your doorpost, but if you want to, if that will help you, then, then do that. We need to have God's commands, his promises, his truths, where we can see them. Write them on the mirror of your bathroom. Put them out as the background of your phone, your tablet, your computer. Write them on an index card and put it in your car where you see it. Place them where you will see them and start to write them on your heart. Now, I tell students this all the time. You can't expect to be great at something by only practicing once a week. You have to put in the time Put in the time with your relationship with God. Make God's word always present. So much so that talking about God and the Bible and Jesus, it's just part of your normal everyday speech. It just flows naturally. As parents, we have to be the spiritual leaders of our homes. We have to initiate this. God says these commands should be on your hands, your eyes, and your home. Your hands. God's word should have such an impact on your hearts internally that our external action should become a reflection of his word. Your eyes. When we start focusing on God's commands, his truths, and his promises, we start to see the world in a different way. We see situations differently. We see people differently. We see our children differently. Your home. Let's have our homes so full of the Word of God that our children can't help but see and hear it wherever they go and whatever they do. Now, there were three men in the Bible who decided to be spiritual leaders of their homes. Even though no one else was doing what was right around him, Noah took a stand and led his family to live righteously. Joshua, after leading the Israelites for many years, while giving his farewell speech, said this in Joshua 24, 15. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the Philippian jailer, after seeing Paul's witness in prison, asked this question in Acts sixteen thirty. Sirs, what must we, I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, 
and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. These three fathers made a stand. They could have been okay with how the people around them were leading their homes and decided to do the same. But they said no. They wanted to be intentional about having godly homes. Now, you're, maybe you're thinking, well, I became a Christian later in life and my kids are already grown up. It, it's too late for me to teach them. That, that's not true. You can still teach them. You can still work on that foundation and build off of it. And maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, I'm not a parent or this is, this is for later down the road for me. I remember the first time that I ever got a Father's Day card and it wasn't this weekend. It was about six years ago. And there was a family who had lost their dad uh, just recently before that day. And the grandfather passed away a few years before that. And on Father's Day, this little girl comes up. Her name was Lorelai. And she comes and gives me a Father's Day card out of the blue. And I didn't expect it. And she'd been in the church for years. And I hadn't done anything special. I, 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 just, was in, I was just investing in her life, in her family's life. I taught her about Jesus. There are children in this church, in this community, who need a role model in their lives. They need you to invest in them. They need you to teach them about Jesus. Be like Joshua and choose to follow after the Lord to make that stand for yourself and your family. Work on your foundation and build upon it. And if you're loving God with all your heart, soul, and might, everything that you are, the rest will fall into place. It starts with us. We have to make that stand.